Turn with me, please, to Revelation 19. Revelation 19. Read verses 1 through 9. I want to be preaching to you this morning, with God's help, from verses 7 through 9. After these things, I heard a great voice of much people in heaven saying, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments. For he hath judged the great whore which did corrupt the earth with her fornication, and hath avenged the blood of his servants at her hand. And again they said, Hallelujah, and her smoke rose up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four beasts fell down and worshiped God that sat on the throne saying, Amen, hallelujah. And a voice came out of the throne saying, Praise our God, all ye his servants and ye that fear him, both small and great. And I heard as it were the voice of a great multitude and as the voice of many waters And as the voice of mighty thundering, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. And he saith unto me, Right, blessed are they which are called into the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, these are the true sayings of God. Thus far the reading of God's precious word. Have you ever noticed, dear church family, why the Bible does not speak much about dying and going to heaven? but it speaks more about going to be with Christ. The reason why, no doubt, is that Christ is the sum and substance of heaven and of heaven's glory. Samuel Rutherford said, if there were a thousand heavens piled on top of one another, my fairest Lord Jesus would be the centerpiece of them all. You see, heaven and Christ are nearly synonyms. And there are reasons why. There are reasons why heaven is so focused on Jesus. One reason, of course, is that you can't get there without him. It's only by the blood that you can enter into glory. Second, Christ is a centerpiece of heaven because in heaven, faith will be augmented with sight of him. Some people say, well, faith will give way to sight, like you won't have faith anymore in heaven, but faith ultimately means to trust him. So we'll still have faith, but now we'll have faith combined with sight. Peter says, in whom though now you see him not yet believe and you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, but then you will experience thine eyes shall see the king in his beauty. Heaven is Christ-centered not only because you can't get there without Jesus and because faith will grow into sight, but also because every believer will then be fully conformed to the image of Christ. We who believe 
shall be like him, John says. And he shall be the firstborn, Paul says, among many brethren. What bliss it will be to be without sin in heaven and to reflect Christ so completely that it will be impossible to sin, impossible to be tempted, impossible to be tempted to be tempted. It just, sin will be walled out, good will be walled in, Christ will be in the center. And then fourthly, heaven is focused on Christ because his glory will always shine there. His praises will never grow cold there. Revelation 21, 23, and the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it. And the Lamb is the light of heaven. But fifthly, another all too forgotten, all too often forgotten reason that heaven focuses on Christ is that in heaven, the living church will be spiritually married to Christ and will express the love of a bride toward her husband. And that theme, which appears again and again in the Bible, of the believer being married to Christ in glory, we're not speaking of sexual marriage, we're speaking of spiritual marriage, is not only prominent in the Old Testament, Psalm 45, Isaiah 54, Isaiah 62, but especially in the New Testament, Matthew 9, Matthew 25, John 3, 2 Corinthians 11, Ephesians 5, but it reaches its apex in the book of Revelation in several places. And then the apex of the apex is our text this morning. Revelation 19, 7 through 9. And I want to look at this theme of the marriage of Christ and his church with you in four simple thoughts. The wedding. The bridegroom. The bride. The guests. Number one, the wedding. Number two, the bridegroom. Number three, the bride. Number four, the guests. Now, presently in the Bible, most commonly, we read that the church is betrothed or espoused to Christ and waiting for the great wedding day. Mary, for example, was espoused or betrothed to Joseph. Now, in Bible times, espousal or betrothal was what we could call today a very strong engagement, an engagement you couldn't break. You actually had to sue out a bill of divorce if you were break an engagement. It's different today. It's hard to break an engagement, but it can be done. But you see, Mary when she became pregnant, you remember that Joseph was minded to put her away. But he had to do that formally. And the angel said, no, no, don't do that to marry your wife. But remember, marriage is not consummated yet. But it's a strong engagement. That's the way to think of it. So we are engaged, we are bonded to Christ, and the day of the wedding, however, the full-fledged wedding day, is to come in glory. 
And in Bible times, what would happen would be when the wedding day actually would come, the marriage agreement that was drawn up at betrothal and already signed then was committed into the hands of the best man. And when the wedding day would come, the bride and the groom would be in their finest clothing and he would come to her home to get her and her friends, take them to her new home where they would feast and celebrate for a week or longer. So the customs were a bit different than today. But the point is this, all true Christians, if you're a true believer sitting here this morning, you are strongly committed, strongly engaged to Christ. You're betrothed to him. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 11, 2 to 4, I am jealous over you, Corinthians, with godly jealousy, for I have espoused you, betrothed you to one husband, that I may present you a chaste virgin to Christ. Now, in those days, to get a bride, you see, the bridegroom had to pay the bride price. And Jesus Christ is the one who's paid the bride price to gain his bride, to make his bride legally and inalienably his. He's come for you. He's suffered for you. He's died for you. And he's coming again for his bride. And he will lead her home to glory on the great day, the day of judgment. He will say, enter in. And you will go into the inner presence chamber of the king, like Song of Solomon says, crying out with the queen of Sheba, the half of it was not told me, the glory that I behold in you. Now, we will then, as believers, be with Christ and behold his glory, not for a week or two weeks of wedding festivity, but for all eternity. There will be rejoicing and festival crowning of the Lord as King of kings. We'll be with Christ. We'll behold his glory. Our eyes will never be taken off of him. He'll be the lamb on the throne, Revelation says, high and lifted up. And all the redeemed that no man can number, millions upon millions will be around the throne, glorying in the Son of God. The Bible presents us the covenant of grace as a marriage contract between God the Father, who chose the bride for his son, and draws up a marriage contract for his son, giving him all the names of those whom the son will redeem. And this wedding involves choice, sovereign choice, not mutual attraction. God chose you, dear believer, in eternity past and gave you to Christ who bought you at Calvary and took you with that bride price as his own through the preaching of the gospel and now he's coming back for you on the final day to bring you into perfect beatific vision into utopian marriage with him forever into holy intimacy and fellowship with him forever and ever. So the Bible presents us, particularly in these three verses, with the beauty of a glorious utopian marriage. There is a utopian marriage. It's Christ and his bride. And the whole trinity is involved in that marriage. The father gives us his son as our bridegroom and gives us as a bride to the son, John 3. 
Ephesians 5 says Christ purchased his bride with his own blood and death. Ephesians 1.14 says the Holy Spirit is given as an earnest, a down payment, a guarantee. You might say an engagement ring when Christ betroths us to himself that the Spirit will persevere in us and with us guaranteeing that we shall arrive at the last day for the actual wedding. And so we can scarcely imagine, you see, what this wedding day will be. James Hamilton says it so beautifully. He says, never has there been a more worthy bridegroom than Jesus Christ. Never has there been a man who's gone to greater lengths, humbled himself more, endured more, accomplished more in the great task of winning his bride than Jesus Christ. Never has a more wealthy father planned a bigger and better feast than God the Father for his son. Never has a more powerful pledge been given than the pledge of the Holy Spirit given to this bride. Never has a more glorious residence been prepared as a dwelling place once the bridegroom finally takes his bride. Great will be the rejoicing. Great will be the exaltation. The marriage of Jesus Christ and his bride. The greatest wedding ever has come. Hallelujah. For the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him. For the marriage of the Lamb is come, says our text. This is the greatest wedding ever. But this is also the greatest bridegroom ever. That's our second point, the greatest bridegroom. Now, the term the marriage of the lamb may sound strange to you because lambs don't get married. But you see, Jesus Christ is here presented to us in his capacity as Savior. The lamb of this marriage shows us his love by living for us, not only, but also dying for us. Already back in Revelation 5, we read, Thou art worthy to take the book to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. So we need to understand that just as you women understand, that when the Bible speaks of the adoption of sons, it never speaks of the adoption of daughters, does it? Never. But you're included by implication. And you don't feel uncomfortable when you hear that adoption of sons. It means you too, because there's male and female in Christ. Similarly here, we men ought not to feel uncomfortable when the Bible speaks of being the bride of Christ. Because this is not a sexual union. This is an intimate union beyond a marital union a vision, a beatific vision of holy, ecstatic union that goes beyond human vocabulary. But it's not a sexual thing. So the bride of Christ is thought of in the Bible as every single believer. We love him because he first loved us. 1 John 4, 19. Now, when we think, when we think of the ideal marriage, in our Western culture, we think of two lovers gazing into each other's eyes, starry-eyed with love, falling in love with each other. But in the culture of Bible times, it wasn't often that way. There, the parents of a bride often decided who 
their daughter was to marry. Some cultures, she had no say at all. Some cultures, she didn't even know who her husband would be until they're just about married. Maybe didn't even meet him until a few days before they were married or at the marriage. But she learned to love her husband. And he learned to love her as his wife. Like, like Isaac and Rebecca. they never met each other until they were ready to be bonded together. And in some ways, some ways, that's the kind of marriage we have with Christ. We love him, but we love him because he loved us first. And he loved us while we were unattractive, while we were undeserving. He loved us when our carnal minds were still at enmity with him, our hearts against him. The prophet Hosea is an example God gives of this kind of love. Go take unto thee a wife of whoredoms and children of whoredoms, for the land hath committed great whoredom, departing from the Lord. And that's what happened. As an adulteress, Gomer had a succession of affairs, and when her youth and attractiveness were spent, she ends up in the slave market. But Gomer finds her, he, Hosea finds Gomer in the slave market, buys her back, not to exact revenge for the rest of her life, but out of sheer love for her. And you see, that's how God loves his people. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were yet rebels, he shed his blood for us. While we were yet unclean, unfaithful, promiscuous, he loved us. Having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them to the end. He loved them to the furthest limits of his love. All the ever-flowing, overflowing, outflowing love of the triune God in the salvation of sinners just like us. You can't put it into words. What a bridegroom. What a beautiful bridegroom we have. The Puritan Edward Pierce wrote a book, uh, The Best Match, talking about Christ as this wonderful bridegroom. And he says things like this. Do you want a match who has honor and greatness? While he is God and man, the brightness of his father's glory, the king of kings and lord of lords. Do you want riches and treasures in your husband? Well, Christ's riches are the best. They last forever. They're infinitely great. It will satisfy all your desires. Are you looking for a generous heart in a spouse? Christ is willing to lay out his riches for his spouse so her joy may be full. Do you want wisdom and knowledge? The infinite wisdom of God shines in him. He is wisdom itself. Are you looking for beauty? He is altogether lovely, more beautiful than all human beings and angels combined. Are you seeking someone who will truly love you? He is love itself, love that is higher than the heavens and deeper than the seas. Do you want a husband who's honored and esteemed? He's adored by saints and angels. Do you seek a match who will never die, never leave you a widow? He's the king, immortal, eternal, the resurrection and the life. Behold the Lamb of God. He saves sinners. Do you know him? Have you surrendered to him? Do you believe in him? Have you repented before him? Have you received him as your heavenly husband? Have you come to him, repenting of your sin, throwing yourself as a hell-worthy sinner at his feet upon his mercy? Will you have the Son of God, even this morning, to be your Savior, to love you, to honor and obey from this day forth and forevermore? Will you have the Son of God, the Lamb of God, 
to be your husband, the sin bearer, to be your bridegroom. If you will have him as your bridegroom, you are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. But if you won't have him, and if you go on this way, and you die this way, you'll never have him at all. And dreadful will it be on the judgment day to fall into the hands of the living God unprepared, unprepared. How tragic that will be. There was a shepherd boy in northern Scotland who one day bedded down his sheep and there was a great storm that came that night and wiped out the entire uh, train track that was running, uh, that viaduct that was running over the valley. Track named the shepherd boy. Time and waved to the conductor to stop. And the conductor just waved him away and kept going and back and the conductor slammed on his brakes and ran over the boy but managed to stop before the train went down into the valley. And people got off the train and they They'd been sleeping and they, and they ran to the precipice and they, they looked down into the valley. They saw the, the mangled track. Then they saw the mangled remains of the shepherd boy and no one said a word until finally an old man spoke and he said, that boy there, that boy there, he saved my life. My friend, if you're sitting here this morning and Jesus Christ is not your number one. If your heart is not betrothed, espoused to him in love, if he's not your all and in all, stop the train of your life. Stop going 90 miles an hour before you go down into the abyss of destruction. Stop and don't rest until you look to him who throws himself across the tracks of your life in the preaching of the gospel. And even this morning, but also from week to week and turn to him and gaze upon him on, on the center cross and don't rest until you can say that God man there, that God man there on the center cross, he saved my life. He's the perfect bridegroom. I will live for him. I will die for him. I will surrender all to him. What a bridegroom for a hell-worthy sinner. But thirdly, not only what a wedding and what a bridegroom, but also what, what a bride. Verse 7 says, Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife hath made herself ready. To her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. You see, the bride is, bride is always asking our, our oldest daughter. I still remember her when she was... Engaged, she said, Dad, I want to get the right dress for my husband. What shall I wear? What's the right one? Well, she was, she had all these check marks she had to do for the wedding, you know, 180 days before, 90 days before. She got them all done early. She couldn't wait to get married. She even told me one time, I found a man better than you, Dad. So I said, well, that's great. That's the way it's supposed to be. That's the way it's supposed to be. She found her bridegroom. You see, that anticipation, that eager longing, a faithful bride longs to have the bridegroom. 
Paul says, I'm now ready to be offered and the time of my departure is at hand. I've fought a good fight. I've, I've run the course. I've kept the faith. There's laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord shall give me at that day. Not to me only, but unto all them who love his appearing. The bride loves the appearing of the bridegroom. Charles Spurgeon said, a believer ought to go to the east side of his home every morning, lift up the shade and look out. Oh, he's not coming yet today. I long for him to come again. Come again, Lord Jesus. Come quickly. But you see, the beauty of this marriage is it's not just the bridegroom longing for the bride. It's, or the bride longing for the bridegroom. It's also the bridegroom longing for the bride. Jesus longs to be able to say, here am I, Father, in glory, with all those whom thou hast given me. You see, there'll be no empty chairs in heaven. Every place will be filled. And he longs for that day when he will present the bride to the Father. He's the king of heaven. And the king greatly desires you, dear believer. You are his queen, said the Puritan Richard Sibbs. And he who rules over the whole universe will make you the queen of heaven. The angels will be our servants. The king will take us by the hand and lead us to heavenly paradise where we will live with him forever. What a glorious thing this will be to see him face to face, dressed in the white robes of righteousness. No more sin, only intimacy, spiritual intimacy, with the Lord Jesus Christ, gazing upon him face to face. Here in this life, the best of God's people, the most mature, we just get glimpses and glances of Christ, as Samuel Rutherford said. It's hard, isn't it, to focus on Jesus. It's hard to even sit in a chair and meditate on him for 15 minutes. We get so distracted. But in heaven, you see, It'll just be constant. Everything will be focused on Jesus. It'll be wonderful. We will see the king in his beauty. You know, we had some students in our seminary. A third year student brought me one day, uh, another Nigerian student to introduce a fellow Nigerian who had just arrived. And the student was looking at me like this and just kind of looking away like every quarter of a second as he was being introduced. And the older student noticed it and he said, oh, no, no, no. He said, you're in America now. In Nigeria, it's an insult to look your teacher in the face. But in America, it's an insult not to look him in the face. So then the poor guy tried to look at me just a little bit longer. It's like, but he just, he just couldn't look at me. And you see, that's the way we feel sometimes, isn't it? You just, I get, I wander away from Christ a thousand times. But in heaven, Revelation 21, they shall gaze upon his face. And there's nothing, nothing in me anymore to cause any shame. My sin is not only forgiven, but now I'm as holy as Jesus is holy. And I can never sin again. It's impossible. As natural as it was for me to sin as a child of the first Adam, it's that impossible for me to sin as the bride of the second Adam. I'm for, with him forever, sin-free, forever gazing upon him. 
I preached once in Spurgeon's Metab in London, and a man came down. I preached on heaven, and the man came down and said to me, you know, I agree with everything you said, but I'm going to really miss my wife in heaven. I said, miss your wife? Is she a believer? Oh, yes. Well, no, no. She'll be at your side. You will recognize one another in heaven. But your marriage will be better than ever because you'll both be exclusively focused on Jesus. You see, everything good on earth will be better in heaven because it will all be perfectly Christ-centered. It will all be focused on the bridegroom. You will gaze upon him. And you'll be clothed in his righteousness. We have a daughter who, works in, who, who used to work in a, a wedding store. And uh, one day a lady walks in and she, she, she said to my daughter, do you have just a cheap dress you, you, could, you could give me? Just give me. I, I really don't have money to pay for it. But my husband has cancer. I want to renew my vows. I can't fit in my old wedding dress. And my daughter felt horrible. She said, I, I don't. I don't own the dresses here. I just can't do it. The lady walks away. My daughter runs after her, thinking of a new plan, and tells her, go to a thrift shop and you can buy one for $20 and come back and I'll fit it to you because I'm a seamstress. I, I can fit it to you. I'll put the beads on and all the fancy things. I'll make it really nice. The lady does that. My daughter spent several nights fixing it all up. The lady renewed her, her vows in the wedding dress. For $20. But you see, this dress, well, it's costly. It costs the blood of Christ, but it's free. Isaiah 61.10 says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful, my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness as the bridegroom decketh himself with ornaments and as a bride adorneth herself with her jewels. This is the grace of God. This righteousness is the imputed righteousness, first of all, of the Lord Jesus Christ. The blamelessness and holiness that we experience through Christ. This is our justification. But it's also our sanctification. In the original Greek, it actually says, for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. You see, when we're justified in Christ, we also become holy in Christ, in our sanctification. That's why verse 7 says, his wife has made herself ready. J.C. Ryle put it this way, the man who's justified in Christ, or the woman or teenager or boy or girl, who's justified in Christ, if that person never lifts a finger to pursue holiness, Ryle says, the justification is not true. Your sanctification is a visualization a confirmation of your justification. The Christian life means getting ready, getting dressed for the great wedding. And, and how do you do that? Well, Paul says it means, Colossians 3, the putting off of the old man and the putting on of the new man. And that's done by the grace of the Spirit, of course, and by the grace of Christ. Now, it's not that something I do just by myself, it's a gift of Christ to me. But I do get active in it. In justification, I'm passive. In sanctification, I'm active. Because you notice what the text says. The bride makes herself ready, but 
the fine, clean white linen is given to the bride to wear. So there's this beautiful combination where in sanctification, we co-labor with the Holy Spirit who works in us that holiness that prepares us to be with Christ forever. Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. He reigns over every aspect of our salvation. Christ loved the church, Ephesians 5, 25, and gave himself for her that he might sanctify her and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but she should be holy and without blemish. So it's all of grace, by grace alone, by Christ alone, through the spirit alone, based on scripture alone, by faith alone, to the glory of God alone. What a bride. What a bride. What a wedding, what a bridegroom, what a bride. But then, lastly, what are, what are these guests all about? What are these guests all about? If the church is the bride, who are the guests? Well, again, you don't take this wedding, wedding literally. So it's a spiritual marriage. But here's the point. Jesus is the Christ, the Savior, the Bridegroom of the one and the many. The one and the many. Theologians speak of that sometimes. He's the one and the many Savior. What do they mean by that? Well, he's infinite in capacity. So when he goes to heaven to intercede for his church, he intercedes for the whole church at once. He's infinite. But he's also, because he's infinite, he can treat each one as if that one were his only child. He recognizes each child as being different from each other. Not a single two people in the entire history of mankind are converted in exactly the same way, have an exactly the same path. No two snowflakes are alike. No two leaves on a tree are alike. No two fingerprints are alike. He's the God of the many, and he's the God of the one. And so the beauty as uh, Mary Winslow said to her son, Octavius Winslow, in the 19th century already, he said, Jesus has died, she wrote to her son, for all his people that no man can number, but if he had to die just only for me, he would have had to suffer just as much because my sins, it's my sins that nailed him to the cross. It's my sins that are the, are, are the thorns on his crown. It's my sins that are the, are, are the sword that pierced his thigh. And you see, there's an individuality about Christ. Christ meets every one of his people one by one, and they get to know him as their Savior, as their Lord, as their elder brother, as their intercessor, as their kinsman. This is the beauty of salvation. There's a corporateness about the church that's beautiful. If you were the only one in this audience today, the whole atmosphere would be very different, wouldn't it? There's a beauty in the corporateness of the church. But there's also a beauty in the individuality of the church. There's a beautiful thing that happens when a minister preaches and you feel the power of the word. And for maybe, maybe for a minute, maybe for 10 minutes, maybe for the whole sermon, you feel like there's only one person in the audience. It's you and it's God speaking to you and the minister falls away. And you see no man save Jesus only. The Christian life has that individuality. You personally must be born again. You personally must have a relationship with Christ. And yet there, you're not alone. There's a corporate nature 
to the church. He knows your fingerprint. He knows your footprint. He knows your individuality. He numbers the very hairs of your head. He treats you as if you were his only child. And so the guests are also the bride of Christ. They're also the bride of Christ. And they're called. They're called, savingly called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Notice what it says here. To her was granted, she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, etc. And then, blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. You see, the bride, in all her number, everyone is individually called. Everyone is individually blessed. This is the beauty. This is the beauty of, of this bride. She's called, effectually called by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is, enters her life and she becomes a new creation, arrested, brought to repentance, brought to faith, learns to find all her life in Christ. What a glorious thing this is. Called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Wooed and won and conquered. And when you're convicted of sin, and you begin to hear about Christ, you see, your heart begins to go open to him. You want to hear him preach. You want to read about him. You want to pray to him. You want to meditate about him. You fall in love with him who's loved you from eternity past. And then you're united. You're betrothed to him. You're espoused to him. You're individually loved by him. He knows you personally. When my son and I were hunting in South Africa, I was doing a conference there, and I, I took him on a hunting tour. Then he actually, he actually wounded an animal, but it didn't die. That's, that's really hard on a hunter. It was a wildebeest, a big animal. And, uh, but there were like 20 wildebeests in a group, and they ran away, and the wounded one was among them, and we felt so terrible. And the guide with us said, don't worry, don't worry, we'll, we'll find him, we'll find him. And we, we, we went and we couldn't find him. And then we found some tracks. Oh, the guide said, here he is. You see, there's a, little, there's a little blood there. This is the one. This is the one. Well, the tracks looked all alike to me. All wildebeest tracks. I couldn't see any difference. He could recognize the individual track. He was such an expert of that one wildebeest from the other 19 wildebeest. And then we went another ways, and there was some mud again, and there was no blood, but he said, oh yeah, that's the track right there. That's the track. And we followed that track, and pretty soon that track went off from the other tracks, and we came to the animal. How do you do it? I don't know. He just knew. The Lord knows every detail of your life, every hair of your head. So when you're his guest, you're also part of the wedding. That's the beauty of this story. Every single one who's saved is the bride of Christ. The guests are blessed because they're united with Christ. Blessed are they. Blessed are they. Truly happy are they which are called into the marriage supper of the Lamb. And there's not one there without a wedding garment on. They won't be able to get into heaven without the blood of Christ. But if you have the blood passport of Christ in your hand and you're saved only by the blood of Christ, you can enter in 
You can enter in. And you can be a guest of this wonderful, wonderful wedding. And so the great day is coming soon. Are you ready? Are you making yourself ready? Are you dressed? Are you clothed with the white robe righteousness of Christ? Is he your only righteousness? Are you on your way to glory, on your way to being with Jesus forever? Of a lady in my church who managed to get out of the hospital now, but she was in the hospital a few weeks ago and she, she thought she was dying. She said to me, just a few more steps and I'll be with Jesus. What a way, what a way to live. I had another friend who worked for us and every, day, every year she had a birthday. I'd say, happy birthday, Edna. And she'd always do the same thing. She'd always take a step forward. She'd put out her finger and she'd say, one year closer to being with Jesus. That's the way a Christian should think. Not, oh, I wish I were younger. No, no, closer to being with Jesus forever, forever. Because I'm his bride. I want to be with him. I want to be with him. I want to see him face to face. Steve Lawson tells a wonderful story about a man named William Montague Dyke. And uh, he, he was blind uh, from the time he was 10 years old. And he went through school, fell in love with a, with a young lady at college. And uh, they got engaged. And then there was a British admiral who said to the young lady's father, I think I could do a surgery that maybe could restore the sight to William's eyes. And they talked about it, and William agreed to do it. But his eyes had to be bandaged for two weeks. So he said, I'll agree to the surgery, providing you do it exactly two weeks before my wedding. And I want my dad to be my best man. And when my bride walks down the aisle, I want my dad to come up and unwrap the bandages because if I can see, I want the first thing I see to be my bride. And that's what happened. It actually happened. And as the bride came down the aisle, his dad unwrapped the bandages. The aristocratic audience was kind of nervous. And William wasn't supposed to say a word. But when the bride came down the aisle and he could see, he just couldn't contain himself. He said, my dear, you're far more beautiful than I ever imagined. And you see, that's a little bit of what heaven will be like. You know, when you see Christ the first time face to face, it will be far more than you could ever imagine. The beauty, the glory of the Lamb of God who gave us all for you. What a future. What a blessed guest. What a wedding. What a bridegroom. What a bride. And what guests. And today, this morning, the Lord offers his hand to you. He sends you an RSVP. Will you come to the wedding? Will you come to the wedding? Will you bow under the Son of God? Will you flee to Christ? Will you have him as your Savior? Will you come as a wedding guest to the Lamb of God? Will you prepare for glory? Or will you put your heart in this world? What a contrast between a believer and an unbeliever. Unbeliever lives for the pig's food of this world. A believer lives for Christ. Let, let me close. Let me close with these two illustrations. 
Gerald Ford was president of the United States. He grew up in Grand Rapids, Michigan. He wanted to be buried there. When he died, there were thousands of people on both sides of the highway to watch the hearse go from the airport to the Gerald Ford Museum to be buried. There was a little boy on the other side of the highway where we were standing as our, our family went to out of respect for the former president. And there was a little boy that had a sign above his head that said, Welcome home, President Ford. The sign was bigger than he was. And he was a happy boy. I thought, isn't that amazing? A boy is so happy with, about it, receiving a dead body. But you see, then I started thinking about what it will be like on the great day when, as Samuel Rutherford said, Jesus will stand at the gates of heaven with a soft cloth to wipe away every last tear from our eye. And we'll come down We'll come down that road, as it were. I'm speaking a bit figuratively now, but perhaps a bit literally. The gates of heaven will go open, and the rows of seraphim and cherubim, 10,000 times 10,000 of angels, and 10,000s and 10,000s 10, of guests, marriage guests, the redeemed of the Lamb, will cry out, not to a dead body, but to you, a living soul reunited with your body, the whole man redeemed, entering into glory, sinner, saved by grace, welcome into the courts of heaven, welcome to the Lamb of God, welcome to the sinless land of Beulah, forever and ever and ever. What a future. But if you don't know him, you're just eating the pig's food of this world. Charles Spurgeon had a friend named Roland Hill. He was a pastor, and he was, he was uh, very discouraged. There wasn't much fruit on his ministry. He looks out his study window one day. He sees a, a pig farmer going to the slaughterhouse with the pigs following him, right into the slaughterhouse. And when he gets out of the slaughterhouse, Roland Hill is there to meet him. He says, tell me how you do that. I can't get people to follow Christ to eternal life, and you get pigs to follow you to their death. How do you do it? And the guy said, well, didn't you see, as I walked along, I just had a little pig's food in my pocket. I just dropped a few crumbs. Those pigs are so stupid, they'll just follow me right to their death. I'm saying to you this morning, don't, don't keep eating the pig's food of this world. It'll destroy you in hell forever. Follow Christ. Live fully for him. He'll bring a joy that the world knows not of. Spurgeon said it so well. God's people get the best of both worlds. They get a joy here the world knows not of. That's far above their joys. But the best joys are yet to come. Come, Lord Jesus. Come quickly. Come, holy, heavenly wedding. Everlasting, utopian marriage. Amen.